Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we are in Genesis chapter 2, and as you can see from up above here, we're at verse 18 through 25, which is basically the description of the very first marriage. And, uh, and so we'll be looking at that this morning. So let's begin here with verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So if you think about it, up until now, as you read through the creation account, God says, man, this is good. You know, at the end of every day, man, this is good. And at the end of all of his creation, the sixth day, this is very good. And so up until now, everything was good. But all of a sudden now, God looks at man and says, well, this is not good. Well, what, what's not good? What's not good is the fact that man should be alone. You think about Adam. You know, uh, Adam... He had a relationship with God, right? And so he, was, he could walk and talk with God. Um, he wasn't in a fallen state, so he was spiritually alive. And, and so he had a good relationship with God. God had given him dominion over all creation. So, you know, uh, he, he, uh, he basically, God basically said, this is for you, Adam. This is, I've created this for you. You have dominion over it all. Man, he had freedom to eat whatever he wanted to eat. And some of you guys, you know, it's like, you, you don't know how someone's saying, I can't believe you're eating that, you know? He didn't have anyone to tell him, hey, you know, there's, you know how many calories is in that, you know, donut you're eating? He didn't have any of that. Um, there was only, of course, one exception, which we'll get to next week. Um, but he was free to eat whatever he could. When we get to verse 19, God gives him the task of naming all the animals that he, God brings animals and says, what do, you, what do you want to call it, Adam? And uh, so just think, he could come up with this name like Dodo Bird, and, and it's like, a, what are you calling him a Dodo? What, where did you come up with that? And, I mean, he didn't have that. He, could, he had no one to tell him what to do other than the Lord God, of course. But he had all that freedom to do. He didn't even have to share with anybody. There was nothing he had to do. He had everything his way. And you, so you think about it, you go, that actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, hey, man, I, nobody tell me what to do. I, I, I don't have to worry about anybody else. I can just take care of myself. But you see, the problem was he had everything, but he was alone. And God says, that's not good. You know, I've been married, what, 34 years, I think? <laughs> I look at my wife <laughs> around there. <laughs> yes, 34 years. Um, anyways, uh, you know, uh, there are times where I irritate my wife, and I know there's times that, no, I should be the other way around. <laughs> you know, we irritate each other, right? There's times that we irritate her. Sometimes it's like, man, I can't believe they left things like this. I can't believe this cup's out, or, you know, the dirty dishes, or whatever it is that maybe your spouse does that bugs you. And you go, man, you know, I just, ah, it just irritates me. It gets under my craw and stuff. Just think about this, though. You could have everything your way. You know, like maybe you're a clean freak and your spouse isn't. Like, you could have everything just spotless if he wasn't or she wasn't there. I mean, you could have everything the way you wanted to, but the problem is you'd be alone. You'd be alone. And it's not a good thing. I don't know if you read this article. It was in the news um, just this past week. It's, uh, it, was, it appeared in the sun, but it says this, The Incredible Sulk. Moment, stubborn father of three speaks to his wife for the first time in 20 years after an extraordinary sulk. Says the man would speak normally to his children, 
but he, would not but he did not speak to his wife for two decades. The father of three would talk to his ch children normally, but said nothing to his wife. Long-suffering Katayama Yumi, she's Japanese, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, chatted normally to her husband, but he would never respond. And now the reason for his silence has been revealed. He said he had been jealous of the children and so sulked and did not speak to his wife for two decades. The Japanese couple's 18-year-old son, Yoshiki, wrote to a TV show asking for help with his family's problem. He told one of the presenters he has never heard his parents have a conversation. His sisters, 21 and 25 years old, also said they had never heard their parents speak to each other. He said, my father doesn't talk to my mother, but my mother normally uh, talks normally to him. His father, O2, told the show, when the kids were born, my wife was very involved and busy in raising the kids. I was kind of jealous. I was sulking about it. There's no going back now, I guess. He spoke to his wife for the first time in more than 20 years and told her, somehow it's been quite a while since we talked. <laughs> I know you have endured a lot of hardship. I want you to know I'm grateful for everything. I also want to talk after this. I hope we can work together from here. And the article ends, it says, as they watched their parents have a brief conversation on a park bench, the children cried with joy. Can you imagine the loneliness that this wife felt for 20 years not talking or not having her spouse talk to her? Can you imagine that? You know, one of, the, one of the most severe punishments that can be inflicted on someone is solitary confinement. You just put them, lock them away. Don't give them anybody to talk to, anybody to interact to. It's not good. God created man with a need for social interaction. Solomon put it this way. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. There's another one of Solomon's quotes. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We're created to be interacted, to socialize. We're, we're created to be in fellowship, not only with God, but with our equals. And so God here in the garden, he's looking at Adam, and he says it's not good that man should be alone. So what was God's plan? He says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. I got a couple different uh, translations here. The Young's literal translation calls it an helper as his counterpart. It's a part counterpart. You know, they kind of fit together. The English Standard Version says a helper fit for him. The New Living Translation says a helper who is just right for him. So if you kind of look at all these different translations, you kind of get the idea of what God is trying to do here. Someone who is like Adam, someone that he can relate to, but different enough to meet what's lacking in Adam. So verse 19 says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. 
So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. It's kind of interesting. We're reading this story. God's looking at Adam and says, man, it's not good that Adam's alone. And then all of a sudden, we get this story about the animals and then God brings the animals to Adam. It almost seems like it's out of place in the narration here. But you see, God knew Adam's need before Adam even knew it. And now he's going to reveal Adam's need to Adam by giving Adam the task of naming animals. Sometimes you and I, God puts us into situations like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know why this is going on in my life. Well, the answer is God knows more about you than you do. And he knows, he sees your need. He knows where you're at. And he's, there's a plan and a purpose behind what he's doing in your life. And this is what God was doing with Adam. But also, so now, he, you know, Adam's, okay, God says, okay, Adam, I'm going to bring these animals to you. I want you to start naming the animals. And I'm assuming, I think it's a safe assumption, that he didn't just bring a male giraffe, a male elephant. They brought a male and female of each species. And so Adam's looking at this big old animal and says, I think that's Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. And then this other animal comes, and well, that's Mr. and Mrs. Toad. And, uh, oh, wow, that's Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. You know, and he's looking at all these, and there's a, there's a male and a female of each of these animals that he's naming. And then Adam realizes, hey, none of these animals look like me. Well, the ape kind of, but not really, you know. None of these animals look like me. And there's no one I can talk to other than the Lord. And there's no one who I can propagate the human race. And I don't know if that's what Adam was thinking, but, you know, there's no one here to propagate the human race because animals probably, at that point, were probably already having offspring. And so Adam now realizes that he's alone, and now he sees his need. And that's why God put him in that position. It says, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. See, this whole time, this whole process that he just went through, God was using it to prepare Adam to come to this realization. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. We're, ca- we're told here that the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. That sounds kind of like anesthetization, right? If that's the right word, way to pronounce it. You know, anesthetized. Um, but why would God do that? Think about it. There's no curse, right? There's no sin. So I don't think there's any pain at this point. There's no death. Um, so why did God have Adam fall, have this deep sleep? Well, I think the reason why is to fulfill a type. Now think about it. There was no death yet. So Adam literally didn't, couldn't die because he hadn't sinned, so there was no death. But God had Adam appear to be dead in this deep sleep, um, so to speak. And then he opens up Adam's side, and a bride is brought forth from his side. That's a type of Jesus, if you look at it, if you think about it. When Jesus was on the cross... 
you know, he died before the Roman soldiers even realized he was dead. They went to go break the legs of the soul of the prisoners, right? Because, you know, you're on the cross and you would push yourself up and catch a breath and then you kind of slump down and stuff. And so at, as, as the, the, uh, the night was approaching, they're like, they're not going to leave him on the cross. So they're like, we got to speed it up. So they'd break their legs so that they could no longer push themselves up and they'd suffocate. So they went to do that to those two, two criminals on the sides of Jesus. They went to Jesus and they're like, well, he's already dead. But they had to make sure. So the Roman soldier grabbed a spear and jabbed it into Jesus' side. And it says that blood and water poured out. His pericardium. That, I'm looking over at medical piece. Pericardium, right? Is that the right term? That, that was pierced. Um, the sword cut through the tissue, the muscle, uh, maybe even the rib itself, and the heart. And the blood and water. And it proved to Rome that God, Christ was in fi- fact dead. And you see, Adam was a type of Christ in this sense. Now, when I say types, you might go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, telestai, I mean, that's when our sins were paid for. That's when the price was paid, right? And that's absolutely right. That's when our sin was atoned for, when Jesus said, it's done and it's finished and he gave up his life. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I take it myself. I lay down my own life. Excuse me. So we know all that. But for the Romans, they didn't know that. And so they had to pierce Christ's side to prove that he in fact died. And from that death, that's where the bride of Christ was brought forth. So there's a, there's a picture, and this is even before Adam and Eve sinned. God was already showing, revealing what would happen. Now, was it an actual rib? The word here is sele, and it means side side room chamber and it can also be translated a rib so was it an actual rib i don't know maybe you guys know i don't know i remember though growing up of course as you're growing up you're always told it was a rib because it says it right there in the bible um and i remember uh being told this and i actually believed it that uh, men have one less rib than women have you, have you ever heard that before because of that yeah right you know that makes about as much sense as some guy who's having all sorts of fun and games until he pokes his eye out with a sharp stick and he loses his eye. And you go, okay, he's missing his eye. And then because he's missing his eye, now all his offspring are missing their eyes too. That's about, that makes about as much sense, right? It's just, it's, it's an old wives' tale, basically. I had fun with that one, by the way. I'll email that to you later. (laughs) (laughs) So what was exactly removed from Adam? You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it matters. I really don't think it matters. I've heard people say, well, you know, God only needs a little bit of DNA to create a new person. And, you know, that's true. But think about it. If you believe the first sentence in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, which means he created everything, does God even really need DNA to make you? No. He doesn't need anything. He's God. Um, He doesn't need. So I don't think it matters what God actually took out of Adam to create Eve. I think what is more important is where God removed it from. He removed it from Adam's side. Look, we talked about it. Fulfilled a type. But you know, there's some other reasons, I think. He didn't take uh, from the sole of Adam's foot that she would be dominated by him. That's Adam and Eve, by the way. (laughs) With the clothes on, of course. Um, Now, from the top of his head, 
uh, and, or he, he didn't take the, 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 some from the top of his head that she might dominate him. You know, it was really funny when I was doing these pictures. I'm like, I need you to do this. And they're like, okay. <laughs> he didn't remove anything from Adam's back that she might lag behind him or from his front that she might be, uh, you know, that he might follow her, but from his side, that she might come alongside him. I think that's what's important, that she might be close to his heart. So verse 22 says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Can you imagine just the excitement of God? It's like, you know, I'm just, it's like when he was creating the world and he's getting everything ready and that, and then finally on day six, I'm going to create man. I've, I've, the world's ready, I'm going to create man and put him on that. That excitement of just, of just presenting to God and, 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 or presenting to Adam. And I think that's the same way here. Adam's like, man, I can't wait till he checks this out, you know? And, and uh, so he brings Eve or the woman to Adam. Now, that word in uh, verse 22, that it's the word made there. Um, it's the word bene, and it means to build, to build up, to rebuild, or to construct. And that word is used literally to describe the, the construction of many things. Like you can bene a house, you can construct a house, or, or a city, or a temple, or a fortification. That's the same word here. So Eve was built. She was constructed from Adam not created separately. I like what Matthew Henry says in his commentary. He says, Yet man being made the last of the creatures, as the best and most excellent of all, Eve's being made after Adam and out of him puts an honor upon that sex as the glory of the man. If man is the head, she is the crown, a crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. You think about it. Now, I believe this is basically a, a, a deeper look into what happened on day six when Adam was created. And so, in other words, on day six, God created man. You know, up until now, he's created everything. And then the, the ultimate crown of creation, man, the crowning achievement, man. God creates man in his own image. But being the last of God's creations, she was the ultimate crowning achievement. I mean, you, you ladies, man, you're the ultimate crowning achievement later on in, in Matthew Henry's commentary and I don't have it written down here but he goes on to say that man was created from the dust of the ground but she's like double refined clay it's like she's just that much more refined than man and if you know you know us guys it's true women are much more refined than us um, I think that sheds more light on what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 he says husbands Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I want to give you an analogy. It just happened to me this week. Um, I was in, got up one morning and, and there were some dishes out and I thought, well, I know, I think the dishwasher's dirty. You know, the dishes are in there dirty, so I'm going to fill it up and finish it. And so I opened up the dishwasher and I pulled out the top rack and, you know, that's where we store the, what's where we put the, the mugs and the cups and, you know, bowls and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm finding there's a couple empty spots. So there's a cup on the counter. I'm putting it in there as a mug, you know, and there's a good spot for the mug. And as I'm looking, I see something on that top rack and I go, whoa, that doesn't belong in there. And what it was is it was one of Teresa's real nice teacups. 
And I saw that and I go, oh, my son must, or my granddaughter, somebody must have put it in there. I know I didn't put it in. I'm sure Teresa didn't put it in there. So I took it out of there. Why? Because it was fine bone china and it could very well have chipped or broken the dish. You don't put china, fine china, in a dishwasher. It's too, it's too hard for it. It's, 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 it's a weaker vessel. And, and it's not weaker in the sense of it's inferior. It's weaker in the sense that it's fragile. And, and I think this is what God created. Women, women are much more fragile. And of course, I'm speaking in generalizations here. She's not weaker uh, in the sense of being inferior, but she's more delicate. It's like, you know, the Lord built your wife and my wife out of fine bone china. Your wife is a fine bone china. <laughs> um, anyway, it sounded good when I wrote it down here. You know, sometimes we don't treat our wives as fine bone china. And if you guys are feeling convicted, I'll be the first to tell you that I feel that conviction myself too. But when you build something, when you construct something, like this church, you know, we came in here and uh, um, the first thing we met with the city uh, and they said, well, you have to hire an architect. You can't just put, slap things together. You need an architect, someone who's going to plan your building. And it has to be planned according to code. So we had to hire a, an architect. Uh, and so he wrote out the plans, and then we had to have a builder. We had to have a vision of this is where you know the stage is going to be. We're going to have the classrooms in that room, in that area, and stuff. And so there was planning, there was design, and how to accomplish that purpose. There was a purpose. There's a if you look around here, things didn't just we didn't just put things here just haphazardly. There's a plan behind it, and it's the same with the woman. What was the purpose to be accomplished? The purpose God had for creating the woman was to solve, first of all, solve Adam's problem of loneliness. Because that can be a problem. And then to provide a helper that was comparable to himself. See, we're not created, man and woman, we're not created to be independent from each other. I know that happens, but we're not created that way. She was created to help him, and he was created to need her help. She was created to be like him in many ways and yet different enough to be complementary to him. And what did God remove from Adam? Again, I don't know, but God removed something from man and gave it to the woman so that when a man and a woman are united in marriage, they complete one another. It's interesting that God's institution of marriage is only one of two things that comes to us from before the fall of sin. Marriage and the other one is being the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath rest. There's another thing I want to point out. It says there that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And in verse 22, that's in verse 21, in verse 22 it says, you know, and then he created the woman and then he brought her to the man. See, Adam was asleep during this process. He wasn't partaking it, you know, or, or, or participating in it at all. He was just sleeping. God was doing all the work. God brought the wife to him. And right now, I want to just speak to those that are here that are single. And maybe you're here this morning and you're single and you want to be married. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. There, 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 there's nothing wrong with desiring to be married. But I want to just encourage you one thing. Man, chill out. <laughs> and let me explain. Don't strive trying to find that spouse. Don't, 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 don't strive. Don't make that your single focus in life. Um, what should you do instead? Man, pray. Pray and ask God to prepare you 
And then also trust that God's going to bring that spouse to you, because he will. He has someone in mind exactly that's comparable to you, the exact counterpart of what you need in your life. And so trust God to bring that person to you, uh, one that's custom designed for you. So you go, okay, that's fine, I, I hear you, but what do I do right now? Well, what do you do right now? Pray for your future spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. Start praying for them right now. Uh, pray that, uh, that God's doing a work in their lives because maybe you're ready for your spouse. You're, you, God's done with you. He's like, okay, I'm just going to put you on hold now. I got to work on your spouse. It, he or she, depending on if you're male or female, you know, they need some work. So pray for them. Pray for your future husband or your future wife. Um, and then there's another thing you can do. Make yourself attractive. <gasps> I can't believe he said that. You know why I said that? I don't mean physically attractive. I mean spiritually attractive. Make yourself spiritually attractive, the hidden beauty or the hidden person of the heart. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Grow in the word. Grow in your relationship with the Lord. Prepare yourself for sacrificial love because guess what? When you get married, you have to sacrifice some things. You have to give up some of your own desire, your own will to somebody else. That's part of being married. And so, you know, you can prepare yourself by becoming a giver right now, by giving of yourself right now. Serve the Lord. You know, Paul talks about those that, are, that, that, are, that have been, you know, that they've been, they don't, they have the gift of celibacy. And God's allowed them to stay single for a purpose, and it's to serve in the body of Christ. So get involved. Get into serving. Um, uh, sacrificially giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Because guess what? When you get married, that's what's required of you. That's what's required. Well, verse 23, let's continue on here. So God created the woman, brought her to Adam there, verse 22. Verse 23, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man he says this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh so he's been sleeping and all of a sudden this woman's coming and he knows he has this need he's been sleeping now god prepares this woman and brings it to brings her to him and adam must have had somewhat of a an idea somehow there's a realization of the fact that she came from him that she was formed from him. There's an identification that takes place. And she, he looks at her and goes, whoa, <laughs> that's now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's just like me, but she's different in a good way. <laughs> she's, she's mine. She's one with me. And then he says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so the man, the Hebrew is ish and woman is isha. Um, you know, it's interesting. When Adam was naming the animals in the garden, do you wonder why he named some of the animals what he named them? Like, why a dodo bird? Or, you know, why, you know, these names? Why, where did he come up with these names? And I, when you look at this verse, he gives um, Eve, or the woman, this name, Isha, but it, there's a purpose behind it. He says, because she was taken out of man. And so there's a, there's a reasoning behind Adam naming Eve. Well, I think that he was using that same reasoning when he was looking at the animals. You know, I, I don't know how to correlate that, but he was looking and he goes, well, that, that animal, well, that's, you know, there's a reason I'm going to name it that. You think of the incredible intelligence that Adam must have had. Incredible intelligence. And then I was thinking about it today. Think of the incredible beauty each one of these would have been. 
They were probably the most beautiful uh, men and women that ever lived on the planet. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is so important. It's important for a man or a woman to leave. And that word leave, it also means loosen their relationship with their parents. And, and uh, if you're, you know, young couples, they get married and, and the, mother, the son is like a mama's boy or the mother or the girl's always running home to the daddy or mommy because, you know, things are going rough in there. That's not a good thing. They're to loosen, not, and, and not to reject that relationship. Sometimes some people get the idea, well, I, gotta, I can't have anything to do with my family anymore, just my spouse. No, that's not what it means. But it means to not allow, uh, to not allow the parental bond to interfere with and unduly influence your marriage to your, to your spouse. You shouldn't allow that to happen. So the man is to leave his parents, mother and father, and then to, be, to join or to cleave to his spouse, to his wife, to cling to each other. And, you know, this is an important thing that married couples should always be doing. You should always be clinging. And what do I mean by clinging? Um, let me give you a bad, exa- like an opposite of don't do this. Um, sometimes as you go progress through marriage, you know, maybe your spouse, you, you know, they don't relate as well as you like or something, and you're in the workplace, and you get, there's, this, there's this guy or there's this woman, and man... They, I can just relate to them so much easier and I, I can pour out my heart to them. I can't talk to my spouse because we get into the same argument. Every time we talk about it, it's an argument again. But this person, man, they understand me. That is a dangerous place to be in in a marriage. It's very dangerous. And, and so cling to your spouse. Don't cling to anybody else emotionally, intellectually. Cling to your spouse. And he says, and then... Uh, the two shall become one flesh. And of course, we know that there's a physical bonding that takes place in the marriage, the one flesh that occurs physically through the sexual union. But listen, any sexual relationship outside of the bond of marriage, uh, of, of a one flesh, you know, that God's blessed marriage, but any kind of sexual relationship outside of that blessed uh, relationship that God has blessed, a bonding, a one flesh bonding occurs. Now, within marriage, it's a blessing. But outside of a marriage, it can be a curse. It can really be a curse. But it's not just the physical thing. There is also a spiritual aspect to the one flesh that occurs, especially for you and I as believers. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6.15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. There's a spiritual bonding uh, that takes place. Paul, um, oh, I already, did I read that one just a minute ago? I think I did. Oh, verse 16, sorry. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two says, uh, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So there's, there's a spiritual aspect to becoming one flesh. Now, I feel my heart breaks for those that are they're married, they came to faith in the Lord, but their spouse isn't married. You know, they started out that way, and, and they both were unbelievers. And they, God has grace and mercy in that relationship, and, and, and God can bless you in that relationship. But if for a Christian to start out that way and say, you know what, I just, they'll get saved at some point, or I'll just keep praying for them to, to walk knowingly into that relationship, it's a disaster. 
It's a train wreck. In fact, I, I can't even perform a wedding ceremony for someone who does that. You're just bringing trouble into your marriage from the very start. It's going to affect you spiritually. It's going to affect your children spiritually as well. It'll have the deepest, uh, it'll affect the deepest and most profound aspect of your marriage. And that's your spiritual faith with each other and with the Lord. That's that one place where it's just so important. Paul also quotes verse 24 in Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, he's illustrating how Christ laid sacrificially laid down his life for his bride, the church. But he says, this is also how a man shall uh, treat, love his wife as himself. Let's look at that. Ephesians 5, 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You're to become one flesh with one another. Verse 25, they were naked. Uh, excuse, me, excuse me, verse 25, and the, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I, I think they knew that they were naked, but there was no reason for them to be ashamed. You know, people today, if you're modest and like, you know, you come out of the bathroom and you're like, you got a little bit of skin showing that you didn't intend to, you know, you blush, right? Because we're, we're modest and so we're, we're a little bit embarrassed. Oh, I showed a little accidentally revealed too much skin. skin. But think about this, before sin, they didn't even blush because there was nothing to blush about. There was no consciousness of, of, of shame there. And as we see next week, sin brings shame. We're going to be talking about that next week. What a beautiful thing to be open and transparent before your God and not be ashamed. That's a beautiful thing. The Bible says sinful man, they love darkness. Why? Because their evil deeds won't be exposed. They want to stay in the dark because they don't want, they don't, if they get out in the open, they'll be naked and ashamed. They don't want that. Um, and you know, for you and I, we don't have to live our lives that way. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, if you come to Christ and confess your sin, Man, the Bible says, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what a beautiful thing. Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're both naked, but they're not ashamed of it at all. What a beautiful thing in a marriage to be open and transparent with each other. And there's no shame. There's no secrets. There's no hidden side. Nothing to be ashamed of. What a beautiful thing. This is what God's plan was for marriage. Um, why don't you go ahead and let's stand. We're at the end of this chapter. We'll pick up chapter 3 next week. I want to do one thing before we're dismissed, though. I know generally speaking, there's three groups of people here this morning. And I want to pray for each group in particular. Um, first of all, I know that there are those here, well, I don't know personally because I don't know you. That, I mean, you haven't shared that with me. But I, I assume that there are single people here that desire to be married. They, they really would like to be married. They long to be married. I want to pray for you this morning. The second thing is, there's probably single people here who don't want to be married for whatever reasons. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel called to be married. I don't desire to be married. I'm fine the way I am. And, and that's okay, too. I want to pray for you as well. 
And then finally, I want to pray for the rest that are married. Because you're going to fall into one of those categories, unless you're really young, but then you probably, you know, at some point you're going to be desiring to be married. So why don't we go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, first of all, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the picture of what marriage was intended to be. And Lord, I know that, uh, oh, I guess first of all, I want to just pray for the married people here, Lord, because I know um, sometimes, Lord, we, we don't live up to those ideals that are set forth in Scripture, Lord. We, we, uh, we mistreat each other. We, we, we uh, take each other for granted or or whatever, Lord. I just, I just pray for the married couples in this room, Lord God. I pray for your blessing upon their marriages. Lord, I pray for us men, Lord, us husbands, that, Lord, we would uh, deal in an understanding manner, not thinking that our wives are less or inferior to us, but, Lord, understanding, Lord, that they are a more delicate and that we would treat them that way, Lord, that we would sacrificially lay down our lives for our wives and that, Lord, the wives would likewise, as Paul says, respect their husbands, Lord. And that, that, that love and that respect, Lord, they just go hand in hand. And so, Lord, I just pray for the married couples here this, this morning. Pray for each one of them, Lord. You brought them together, Lord. You created them for each other. Lord, the marriages were not a mistake, Lord. They, they, they were part of your plan and your purpose. And so, Lord, now I pray that, uh, Lord, that you would just bless them. And that, Lord, that their marriages, that they wouldn't just survive their marriage, but, Lord, that they would thrive in their marriages. And Lord, I want to lift up those here that are single, Lord, that are desiring to be married. Lord, first of all, I want to pray for them, Lord, that you would help them to maintain their purity. Because I know, I know Lord, the, the pull of the world, and the, the just it's such a strong pull. And there's, that, there's just that, just the way of the world today. And so, Lord, I, first of all, I pray for their purity. And secondly, Lord, I pray for their preparation. Lord, I pray that as they are waiting patiently for you, Lord God, that, Lord, you would be doing a work in their hearts. Lord, just like you did for Adam, Lord, you were preparing him to realize his need for a wife. You were preparing him for that. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in those that are single that want to be married. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be developing in them, Lord, spiritual beauty. Lord God, that, Lord, that they would be involved in just... Uh, ministering and, and, and growing in your word and growing in the knowledge of you, Lord, that, that Lord, when they do meet their spouse, Lord, that they're, they're ready, Lord, they're ready for a godly marriage and that, Lord, they'll be uh, uh, just uh, prepared for that. Lord, I also pray for those that are single here that, uh, Lord, they don't feel called to be married. Maybe, maybe they've been married before and they, they don't just don't want to do it again or, Lord, for whatever reason, Lord, they're, they're single. Lord, I pray again also for their purity, Lord, because I know that that is such a, such a, a draw in this world for all of us, married and unmarried alike. Lord, that we would remain sexually pure. But Lord, I also pray for them, Lord, as Paul says, Lord, that they're free from encumbrances. But Lord, that doesn't mean that they're free from encumbrances to serve themselves, Lord, but they're free from encumbrances to serve you to minister in the body and to be, to be active and participating. And so, Lord, I just pray for each of these groups of people, Lord. We all fall into there somewhere. Lord, I just ask your blessing upon each one of them. Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. I pray your blessing upon your people, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.